Welcome to Truth Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. I'm Michelle. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, Michelle. How you doing, girl? How you doing? <laughs> Where's your well at, girl? Give us you know, it didn't look. It's, it's a fresh season. We gonna this gonna be forgot sometimes. <laughs> 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 we are tired today. Lord. It's gonna be forgot. I mean- <laughs> I don't know oh. where half the year went. Black History Month took my oh. well with it. Lord well, Jesus. Well, well, this is real. Was a doozy. It was a doozy. You're right. Really you know, you, 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 you get a pass on forgetting thank well you. after oh, that Black so History much. Month. So, <laughs> okay, so wait, wait, wait. And where is where is C? Where is I know at, we're girl? missing our our third, our resident doctor. Girl. Um, yeah, but you know, the table is always on the move. And so we're very excited to hear that C is picking up on all these speaking gigs, y'all. She out here with a website. Have you seen her website? <laughs> is the question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Look at all dashing and fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, you know, she ain't playing with us. So mm-hmm. yeah, pray for Christina as she's ministering to the people, teaching them cultural agility, teaching them how yes. to just stop being racist. So stretch your hands toward Christina. Stretch out your hands. (laughs) But as (laughs) always, we are never without a third person at the table. And y'all know we are still in our UOK Sis series. Um, Now, before I even introduce who our guest is, I do want to start off with a trigger warning to let you know this episode will be a heavy one um, as we are going to be talking about infertility and miscarriage and infant loss. Um, That is what's on the table. Um, So we are honored to bring Erica McAfee to the table with us. Hey, Erica, how you doing, girl? Good. How are y'all? We are <laughs> great. Right. Now that you're here. <laughs> I'm so excited to be at the table. Yes. Girl, we're happy to have you here, really and truly. We were like, who could, who would be better to talk about this subject than Erica? Oh, and so, <laughs> and um, just in case uh, our sisters do not know who Erica is, um, I'm going to tell you a little about this, a little bit about this sister, Erica M. McAfee is the founder of Sisters in Loss LLC, a faith-based grief and pregnancy loss coaching company that helps Black women turn their pain into their purpose after loss. Sisters in Loss provides birth and bereavement doula services, infertility and grief coaching services to help women step beyond anxiety and fear and into trust and peace after loss. Sisters in Loss achieves its mission through courses, retreats, and conferences to help women minimize regrets, maximize memories, and manage their path forward after loss. Its self-titled podcast spotlights faith-filled Black women who share miscarriage, infant loss, and infertility stories and testimonies to heal, gain clarity, and peace. Find hope and an empowering path forward after loss. Launched in August 2017, the podcast has a community of 10,000 plus sisters in loss. Welcome to the table, Erica. We are so honored to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We are blessed to know that, first of all, your organization exists. We are grateful to know that your podcast is ministering to so many um, women who experience um, this type of loss. And um, I thought it would be good for uh, us to just launch in just by asking you your own story about how um, infertility and infant loss um, showed up in your own life and, 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 uh, and uh, why this is such a passionate uh, subject for you. 
Absolutely. So my journey just really to motherhood started back in 2012. Um, Shortly after my husband and I got married, we found out that we were pregnant Mm. and expecting and um, went through that pregnancy with no issues. Um, And up until the end is when I was diagnosed with preeclampsia. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what preeclampsia is, it means that you're um, or warning signs for it is where your blood pressure starts to get elevated in pregnancy, as well as um, they look for protein in your urine. And what preeclampsia can do is actually, you know, literally shut your organs down when it gets to that level. So typically, if you are showing signs of elevated blood pressure, or if you have protein in your urine, what most doctors do is try to induce you ahead of time. So in that case, and that was my case, I was 39 weeks and five days. So my doctor was like, okay, your blood pressure is elevating. We need to go ahead and have this baby. So I was induced and um, went through labor. I pushed, ended up having a C-section because it just could not, Mm. um, um, baby would not come down through my pelvis. Mm. And uh, my son was born born alive. He was moving when he was Mm. born, but he just did not cry at birth. Mm. And I immediately knew something was wrong because, you know, at that point in time, back in 2012, you know, we didn't have all these big, huge blogs with moms and babies. And you actually got to see people birthing people on Instagram. Um, I was looking at TLC's A Baby Story. I don't know if y'all remember that. I remember that. I do remember that. I was like, this is not how birth is supposed to be. You know, it's supposed to be happy. You know, we're supposed to be excited when Mm. the baby comes back. We're supposed to be crying with joy, you know, tears of joy. So I just knew something was wrong. And I looked over at my husband and I was just like, what is wrong? Like, you know, what's wrong with our baby? So um, my, the doctors and the pediatricians that were in the the um, ER um, worked on him for about 41 minutes and his lungs would not oxygenate. They were not able to get them to actually fill with oxygen so that he could breathe on his own. They tried, um, tried that long just to try to get him to breathe. Wow. And we, um, the doctors ended up rolling me into recovery and I was told that, you know, my son didn't make it. So as you can imagine the thought process running in, you know, we did everything that we thought we should, you know, we had prenatal care. We went to every Mm, appointment. I wasn't considered high risk until the end where, you know, I started developing signs of preeclampsia and, um, you know, my son didn't make it. So we were devastated. I mean, that, to say the least, we were upset. We were angry. Yes, of course. We were frustrated with everybody around us. And most, most importantly, we were just mad at God because we're just like, you know, mm-hmm. we, you know, um, as believers. And then on top of that, you know, my husband's a pastor. I'm a first lady. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. we just trusted God throughout this journey, knowing that we would bring a baby home and we were going to go to the hospital and bring a baby back home with us. But that didn't happen for us that way. So, mm-hmm. um, throughout that journey, we really had, our really, our faith was tested for sure, because we had to really learn how to grieve properly, how each other grieve, you know, because he grieves differently. My husband grieves differently than I do mm-hmm. and really um, seek counsel through a therapist so that we could fight together and not fight each other as we were grieving the loss, you know, going through that whole grief process with my son. 
So um, we got to a place where we were going to therapy regularly and we were at a place where we were ready to try again. And we did. We went on ahead and tried again. And I was able to get pregnant probably within like a month or two of Mm -hmm. us actually actively trying. And um, during that pregnancy, you know, I didn't switch doctors because I didn't feel like the doctors did anything. You know, they did all they could. From the autopsy of my son, they found that um, his lungs were underdeveloped even at 39 weeks. And Mm. it was not something that could have been shown throughout the many ultrasounds that I had throughout the pregnancy because baby's lungs are not oxygenated while they're inside of you. You're, you are breathing for them, right? For them. Okay. So that, so they, you wouldn't have never been able to detect that through an ultrasound, um, through with, with that, with my son. So with my, with, um, this next pregnancy, I just wanted to make sure that wasn't anything that was genetically wrong with him with, with this pregnancy so that I wouldn't have the same outcome, you know? Um, so, we did all the extra genetic testing, you know, we even tested for like something that we knew we probably <laughs> wouldn't have like cystic fibrosis and stuff that black right. people typically don't right. have right. just right. to make sure that this pregnancy was good. You know, so with that early testing at around 12 weeks, we were able to find out the sex very early, just basically mm-hmm. because of the blood samples that they took. So we knew, I knew at like maybe 13 weeks, um, I was having a baby girl this time. So I went throughout that pregnancy up until about 18 weeks and I started feeling like I was in labor. So um, we ended up going to the hospital. There was a lot of blood and I ended up um, being was in labor. I was I was in labor. I was about three centimeters dilated. Um, For those of you who are unfamiliar with, you know, you have to get you have to go from zero to 10 in order to have your baby. And this is actually your cervix actually opening up and stretching so that the baby Mm. can come down through your birth canal. So I was about three centimeters dilated and I was 100 percent of face and a face facement means the actual thinning of your cervix. So also during, you know, childbirth, your cervix actually thins all the way out. So, um, my service was basically gone and I was three centimeters dilated and they could actually see the bag coming out. So mm. at that point in time, the doctors was just like, there's nothing that you, we can do for you. You have to, you're going to have to labor and have this baby, um, mm. vaginally, you know, she's small enough and you should be able to just push her out. Um, um, when you get to about five or six centimeters. So mm-hmm. I labored throughout the day and um, they did start me on some Pitocin during that time frame. And then I had her knowing that they could not do anything. Um, vitality, meaning th- to the point where the doctors are able to save the baby's life and actually mm-hmm. you know, resuscitate the baby or give the baby a breathing tube is at 24 weeks. Okay. Although my baby was about a pound and a few ounces, which is the typical weight of babies around 24 weeks, they still could not do nothing because she was only 18 weeks along. And um, so she came out, she was breathing when she came out and she shortly passed away on me. They mm-hmm. gave her to me immediately later mm-hmm. on my chest and she passed away. Okay. So we... Um, during this time frame was probably about eight or nine months from our first loss. Mm. So, you know, we were in our 
first two years of marriage. I mean, we were, <laughs> we, yeah. we, we just felt like, yeah. you know, the devil just did not like us. Like we were, <laughs> and we were, you know, having to go to church every Sunday and pastor right. and, you know, minister to people when we were just hurting, you know, we both were hurting individually and we just really had to figure out how to deal with it on our own. So one thing that we both did was go seek counsel and get a therapist individually. And then we ended up getting another therapist as a couple. And I truly believe that therapy helped us get the courage enough to try again for my son, my rainbow baby, my Mm. rainbow after the storm of losses that we had. If I did not have that, um, godly counsel through a therapist who actually, you know, was a Christian, believed in yes. the word, could actually yes. point us to the to scriptures in the Bible or give mm-hmm. us give us um prayers that we needed to pray for ourselves or pray for our spouses mm-hmm. every day. Um I I would not have gotten the courage enough or just really had the faith enough, faith that God was actually going to get me to that other side. Mm-hmm. Um until we had until we um had our son. So we we ended up um, getting to a place. We took longer this time between the the I guess you know the loss and actually trying again, and really got to a place where we both were comfortable enough in our grief. Where I think I was ready before my husband was, and I really just prayed that he would tell me when he was ready to try again, to actively try again. Wow. So when he um, finally came out and told me that he was ready. He was ready. He felt like, you know, we were in a better place. You know, we tried again and I was, I was, I got pregnant probably the next month. And during this time also, I do want to note that I um, wasn't, I don't, wasn't on birth control, but I also monitored my cycle, if that makes sense. Um, A lot of people may call it the fertility awareness method, which is basically, you know, when your peak fertility time frame is. So I knew when, when I was ovulating and I I knew how to um, basically, um, understand my body enough <laughs> to know when right, we needed yeah. to actually, you know, do the do and, and have a baby basically. Yes. So, um, I, I, you know, for all the women that are listening, I just want to put this footnote in there. If you are not, um, actively trying to get pregnant right now, but you definitely want to have children in the future, um, think about getting off of birth control and trying to understand mm-hmm. exactly how your ovulation cycle works. Mm. Um, and, um, what I've realized in just doing the work I've done with sisters in loss and just talking to, you know, over hundreds of women is that, you know, we don't get ready until we're, we're trying to have a child. And I think that we we prepare ourselves every month when we have a cycle. We should be preparing our bodies and just understanding our bodies as a whole um, on what we need to do to prepare ourselves to have children in the future. So one thing would be just to know your cycle, know your cycle, know when you're ovulating, you know, track it and just really understand your body with the different symptoms that it are and how your body uh, reacts to hormonal birth control. Cause I think that's the, that's the biggest thing for people who are really actively trying to get pregnant. And that's more for the folks that are battling infertility or just in general, I think yeah. it's an overall woman's health. You know, we are taught to prevent pregnancy 
until you're trying to get pregnant. And <laughs> doesn't we, you know, it's almost contra contradictive. Like, you know, he tells us to take birth control up until you're trying to get pregnant and you really can't get pregnant because, you know, your your cycle's all off, you know. Mm-hmm, so that's right. just a footnote that's to good those advice. of you are listening. Is that, you know, um, you know, make sure that you know your body beforehand, way beforehand, like right now, like even if you're not actively trying, even if, you know, God has not sent you, sent you that man, just, just think about, you know, maybe I need to step off of birth control and just really see how my body feels without it. And then think, you know, go through that process. And there's so many good books out there and a great podcast. Another fellow podcaster that I love, she really teaches on the fertility awareness method is um, Lisa Henderson Jack of Fertility Friday podcast. She's a great Mm. resource on the fertility awareness method. And I always point a lot of my listeners to her podcast because she has a wealth of knowledge on just knowing your body as you're preparing your body to get pregnant. But I'll go back into my story about my son. Um, so my husband and I got pregnant with um, my my baby that I have here that God allowed me to keep here on earth. And um, a lot we went through a lot of um, doctor's appointments. We ended up finding out with the pre- with my second pregnancy with my daughter that I had a um, what they would call cervical incompetence. Hmm. Um, I don't. I don't think I'm incompetent, but that's I do not like it. that name. That's yeah, terrible. I know. I know. They, basically, it means that your cervix opens early, mainly in the second trimester when okay. your baby starts to grow and weigh on your cervix. So typically, they don't know this is happening because. They don't check your cervix until the very end of pregnancy, which I think is something that doctors should do earlier in the pregnancy Uh, because you don't know what could happen. They Mm -hmm. assume that your cervix may hold on. So it's almost like you have to go through a loss in order for them to check your cervix earlier in the pregnancy. So how do you think it is that they don't do that? Is it, is it because it's hard to do and it's a pain, it's painful? No, I mean, I I don't think it's no more painful than you getting like an annual. I mean, they're just physically going and actually checking. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't think it's any more painful. I just don't think it's a routine habit. And it and it kind of goes back to just this overall health and wellness thing um, around just how our um, healthcare system is set up to fail us in well, most mm-hmm. cases, yeah. especially when it comes to pregnancy, infertility, and just bringing babies home from the hospital, bringing babies home, and then you coming home from the hospital right, right. because it you you have to go. It's almost like most black women have to go through some type of trauma, and, and even if they had a. a crystal clean pregnancy they still may have some other issues going on because Mm -hmm. of the way this the medical system is set up especially in the u.s but no they don't check it until you actually have a loss unless until Mm -hmm. you get to the end of your pregnancy Mm -hmm. you know the last you know maybe four or five weeks they'll start checking your cervix but in this case you know i i my cervix opened early so with my son, I had to get what they call a cerclage, which is essentially a cervical stitch. They actually stitch your cervix closed okay. so that when the baby starts to grow larger, 
Um, it won't weigh on your cervix and then they measure your cervix. So you do, you have a lot more, a lot of extra appointments with like a maternal fetal medicine specialist who measures your cervix throughout the course after you get the sarcoge place. There are risks with the sarcoge. It is a surgery that you get while you're pregnant. The doctors can nip your bags of water and you could lose your baby. So a lot of women, um, elect to get cerclages placed before they get pregnant, which is called like a trans abdominal cerclage, hmm. where they put the cerclage in um, um, way before you even try to get pregnant, just so they wouldn't have that risk. Um, and then also that's also used for folks who have recurrent pregnancy losses due to a cervical incompetence. You know, they've had more than one. So we were able to get that placed about 18 or 19 weeks. And then I went Throughout the rest of my pregnancy with just normal doctor's appointments, follow-ups with the maternal fetal medicine specialist up until about 35, 32 weeks. And at 32 weeks, I was not feeling well. I went home and I laid down. I woke up and it was just, my stomach was rock hard. And mm-hmm. I knew what labor felt like because I had been in labor, you know, twice before. So I knew it wasn't, it was something else going on. Um, so we, we were rushed to, I was rushed to, my husband came home, we, he took me to the hospital and we got to the hospital about quarter to two. My son was born at two nineteen. That's how, that's how wow. fast, that was fast. That's how fast they reacted to what was happening to my body. So my, my, um, they ended up, I ended up going into triage and they attached the monitors to me and they could not hear a heartbeat from my son or if they did hear it was very faint so they immediately rushed me back and they and that was considered that is a crash emergency c-section like they literally cut you know hooked me up to anesthesia they cut me immediately open Mm. and took my son out Mm. Um, I ended up having I almost lost my life during the birth of my son in that OR um of Maxwell Uh, yes okay Wow. Uh, with with the birth of my son Maxwell, who 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 is living here, he was born, he was born without oxygen, so he was able be, and they were able to resuscitate him, um, and get him to breathe um, on. Um, they had had to do a breathing tube at first, and then he was able to breathe on his own mm-hmm. in room air after 24 hours. But after that, I ended up having um, a placenta abruption, which. Um, means that your placenta, which is your lifeline for your your baby, mm-hmm. it's what carries all the blood, the nutrients, everything that your baby needs. It's typically attached in your uterus and it travels around the uterus with your baby as your baby grows. That completely came, came apart from my uterus. Wow. And in that, I lost a lot of blood. I ended up getting mm. maybe eight or nine blood transfusions. My family was called in. I was on life support. Oh my goodness! And they, um, my blood platelet count count was so low. Um, they really they called my family in. Like my family flew in from everywhere because they did not think I was going to make it just because of how much blood that I lost. So I, um, you know, thank no, I'm <laughs> it's nothing but God's grace yeah, oh, and yeah. mercy that I am here to share my story, but also you know to help other women through their grief and their lost journeys. So, you know, I was able, you know, a few days later, you know, my blood platelets count started to come back up. They were able to, um, you know, 
give me all the nutrients that I need, finish the surgery because they had they had to stop the surgery because of how much blood I lost. They were able to finish the surgery. You know, I was able to see my son and, um, you know, my son ended up spending almost 30 days in the NICU at the hospital we were at and we were able to bring our baby home. You know, it took it took almost four, you know, three years before, you know, from when we lost our son Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at birth in 2012, we um, finally were able to bring our baby home. So that is the story of my journey to motherhood. Um, But the the other caveat to it and the infertility piece is that with my placenta abruption, in order to save my life, the doctors had to give me a hysterectomy. So I was 28 years old I did, and I had a hysterectomy um, to save my life. So with that, I don't have, um, you know, I don't have a uterus. I still do have my fallopian tubes in my ovaries. Wow. So I am able to have, um, you know, go through fertility treatment if I want to mm-hmm. and have, um, a surrogate if I need to, or adopt. So that's where mm-hmm. I, that's where the infertility journey starts for me is that I'm at that place where I am going to um, consider having a surrogate or adoption. Wow. Wow. Erica. Wow. I I think we are just blown away by your, your, your story, your testimony. I mean, you have been through it, you know, um, and you have, come out by God's grace, um, just, you know, um, you know, how scripture talks about how we're tried like silver and like fine gold, like mm-hmm. yeah, you've been tested, you and your, your, your husband and, and, um, yeah. And so many people are going to be so blessed by just hearing your testimony and even the hope that you have to continue to move forward, either through surrogacy, um, through adoption. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. I know Absolutely. that I, I would imagine that Every time you tell that story, that's never easy. It no, never becomes not. easy. It never becomes second nature. Like you no. have to enter back into that trauma. You really. do. You do. You're reliving trauma. And it's no different than losing any family member or yeah. anything. You are reliving the trauma. You're thinking back to where you were in that day, in that moment, which you were thinking. Yes. And really, how have you processed it all the way to where you are now? Yes. So, yeah. It definitely, definitely does not get easier. But what I can say is that it, it teaches me the power of sharing my story mm-hmm. and how the spoken word is healing to your ear and into your heart. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it, it, it just, it takes getting it out. You know, yeah. sometimes it may not be easy to articulate it and you may cry, but every time that I'm able to share it and get it out, you know, I'm you know, God is healing my heart every time I share. So I always tell people, you know, you got to get it out some way, whether it's writing it in a journal or if you want to speak it out, you have to get it out. Yes. Yes. Well, you know what, before we even go further um, into this time at the table, I'm curious if you wouldn't mind defining some of some terms that you've mentioned, you've done a great job of doing that. But for folks like myself and others who might be ignorant about these things, um, can you define for us what infant loss is, the differences between infant loss, infertility, um, and miscarriage? I think those are the the three that will come up most that will probably come up quite a bit during our conversation. Can you define, you know, those three and how they differ from one from each other? Yes, absolutely. So a miscarriage 
typically is defined as, and they have, there's so many different kinds of miscarriages as well. Oh, okay. um, so typically miscarriages are what they define as a loss of a fetus but, um, before 20 weeks is okay. what they would define 20 weeks gestation mm-hmm. through, throughout during your pregnancy. Okay. So that's typically the, I guess the textbook definition of a miscarriage, okay. but, um, and there's so many different kinds of miscarriages that are out there that you mm-hmm. can probably go Google. Sure. There's, um, but m- majority of women who have experienced a miscarriage typically have them before 20, before 20 weeks okay. or before 12 weeks. Okay. And you know, they typically experience their loss around that time frame. Okay. An infant loss mm-hmm. is a loss of um, a baby that's under 12 months. Um, so you actually have a, you know, a newborn yes. baby, okay. a baby that's actually born that's yeah. living um, they may are um, get lost through, you know, they may have some other type of genetic disorder or, you know, um, a lot of women or a lot of people experience sudden infant death um, syndrome or SIDS. Yes. And they may lose an infant, um, like I said, below the b- below the first year mark. And that typically SIDS typically happens around four to nine months in that time frame mm-hmm. for, uh, for a lot of families. Mm-hmm. So that is what an infant loss would be considered. Okay. And then infertility is something that affects one in eight couples. And it is when a couple has been actively trying um, without hormonal contraceptives Mm -hmm. for more than a year. More than a year, okay. Um, More than a year. And I also want to put a footnote there is that infertility is not a woman's issue. It's a couple issue. There you go. So it's not a woman's issue. Men, there is male factor. There's male factor infertility that can play a role into why women aren't getting pregnant, especially if they've been actively trying. So it's a couple issue. um, And it's not, you know, I I will say it's not just a heterosexual couple issue, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, same sex couples can battle infertility as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I just want to put that out there. But yes, infertility is when a couple's been battle, you know, actively trying to get pregnant for more than a year. Okay, good. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Wow. Mm Yeah, this is really at least on um, on my end. I have I have two children, and um, my baby girl, my youngest daughter, um, it was a, a real difficulty um, that pregnancy, mm-hmm. and that's you know a crazy long story. But we felt sure that, um, and our doctors were trying to prepare each time we had a checkup to um, just let us know that she had passed away in utero. And mm. so it's been really mm. meaningful for me to hear, um, just to hear your story, Erica, and to to connect with a long, I mean, I had not heard the phrase rainbow baby. And mm. so it's kind of cool that um, we are learning so, so much. I'm going to come back to this episode so many times yeah. just to listen. Yeah, there's a lot to, to I've learn. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And I try, I try my best to explain. No, you <laughs> really a great do. Job. I mean, <laughs> this is a true stable classroom, okay? Yeah. <laughs> on the real. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I'm glad that it's part of the series, You Okay, Sis, because the answer is, it's hard to know uh, with a lot of the the grief that happens. I'm, and I'm really interested to know about um, if you've studied or looked into the stats specifically for the sisters mm-hmm. that this table is for, mm-hmm. how have Black communities been impacted by um, whether it's 
um, depression on the maternal side or families grieving these losses. But um, how does that differ? And I'm, I'm also interested to just hear um, how faith communities, especially in right. the Black church, mm-hmm. how your church family um, has surrounded you and even learned, because I, I would guess this isn't something that we're very open about. Mm-hmm. And maybe we feel it's so touchy that we don't even you know, some of us only want to say the word cervix, but we have to hear, we have to hear the yeah. whole story in order for all of us to be fully supportive. So. Absolutely. So I would first say is that as a community, we don't tell our business, we right. don't share <laughs> what's going on in our homes. You know, mm-hmm. we all grew up with <laughs> parents and grandparents who said, you know, what stays in, what goes on in this house stays in this house. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, I think that has led to us suppressing a lot of the way we feel about anything. And I just, you know, if some trauma has happened, but just anything, just because we were told not to talk about it. Yeah. So I think that in its in of itself as a black community, um, it lends to why when you Google miscarriages or you Google in- infertility, you see more white women come up because mm-hmm. they are out there talking about these topics in that manner. But their experience is not our experience. You know, we have a different experience in That's in right. of itself, just from a cultural perspective. Um, I did talk a little bit about just, just the the healthcare system and how the medical system has been set up since slavery time, really, um, we, we have that systematic racism that's already embedded in our healthcare system. So white women, yeah, that yes, they, they do go through the same grief and loss, but the trauma that they experience with that is not rooted in racism like ours would be. So I, I always like to say is that, you know, we, as as a culture, we have to be cognizant and we are almost at a place of privilege now in our generation where our parents have, we have the the absolute, you know, benefit of actually going and getting the help that we need um, through, you know, therapy because insurance covers it for most people or you can use like your HSA or what have you. So I think that even if we don't talk about it in this form, like on a podcast or on a blog or, or something like that, that you can still, you have, you have the accessibility to go talk to someone for those who do have insurance. Now on the flip side for in the community where, um, you know, they are not those, those resources are not available, especially in rural areas um, and in areas where, a lot of people rely heavily on Medicaid and may not have the same access we do. Mm-hmm. That's where that that that's what's hurting us the most when it comes to just the numbers, the, the statistics, the things that are out there. Is that they don't have the same tools and resources that most have. But we have to stop being silent. I think right. that's where right. I Absolutely. wanted to create a platform for us, mm-hmm. so that we. We, we can't be silent anymore. We have to be able to share our stories because not only because it needs to be heard, because like I said before, it's going to heal. It's going to heal the individual who's actually talking about it. And one thing that I, um, I always get at the end of interviews with, with the ladies that I interview is that 
they they felt like I've never they've never shared their story in its entirety. Mm-hmm. You know, like they may have shared bits and pieces, mm-hmm. but they never have had an opportunity to actually talk it out loud and cry it out and get to a place yes. of like, oh my God, that felt good. Like I needed to get that out and didn't know they needed it until it happened. Mm. So I, we can't be silent anymore about any of the trauma that we've experienced. I think that we have to share it with someone, yeah. um, a close friend, a relative. I always say, get a therapist, somebody who's licensed, who can help guide you and just really give you the tools that you need to help get you to that next level, wherever that is, wherever you are in your grief journey. One thing that I realize is that, yes, you may be at a place where you feel like you are beyond your loss, but there are so many triggers that are around you that can trigger you right back to that place of grief. So sometimes you have to have that sounding board of a therapist or that check-in with a friend just to make sure you're all right. Make sure you are good with where you are now on your grief journey, because there's no timeline for grief. I mean, it, it, there's no timeline. People are still grieving, you know, losses that they've had, you know, many, 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 many years yes, ago. Yes, yes, of course. So. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And just talking about just, you know, um, speaking, speaking it. Um, uh, cause you know, s- silence, you know, and shame, there's a lot of tension there, right? So silence is meant to, um, or shame silences us. Right. And it's meant to tell us, don't tell your story. Don't say this. And, and that's when the enemy comes and mocks us, right? Mocks mm-hmm. us, says mm-hmm. you're, you're damaged goods. You're not worthy. God doesn't love you. All these lies, you know, you yes. name it, you've heard it. You said it to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. We've heard, um, um, the, the lies of the enemy and cast them down in the name of Jesus. Um, yeah. but there, there's that tension there where it's like, we have to speak that in, and bring it into the light in order, right. To, to kill the shame. Um, and that, that way it helps to free other people. And so we're, we're all familiar with a bit of tension. I think even in our community, right. Um, when you think about in the black community, how we, we tend to be politically speaking, we tend to vote, you know, maybe pro-choice, but mm-hmm. we're very much functionally actually pro-birth. Um, and mm-hmm. so I was wondering if you could just kind of speak a little bit to even that, um, you know, that, that tension of just like being pro-birth in the community. Cause your, 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 your podcast is very much about like, you know, helping support women to, to continue to hope, you know, to, to have, you know, other children to, to, um, to help them to walk through their grief. I don't know that you ever really overcome grief. I think it changes and transforms, but I'm um, mm-hmm. just wondering um, just about how you see that pro birth reality come to bear, like even in your own sister in laws community, in our black community with multi-generational families and blended families, you know, our families run the gamut, you know, within our um, community. So just love to hear you speak about that reality. Yes, I think that yes, we are. You, you everything you just said was so true. Like we we do typically are very much so pro choice. Mm-hmm. I think the whole pro birth um thought process really stems from you know, just wanting to have a family in general. You know, I think that um what I like to focus on my podcast is just that, you know, there's no there's no one way or one journey to motherhood. I think that, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even if you have not birthed the child physically, yes. you know, you still can become a mother. And I think that 
showing that black women do adopt, <laughs> you know, black people adopt, you know, we, we adopt kids that look like us. Hello. Like the others adopt uh, kids that look like us. <laughs> we adopt our, we, we adopt children that look like us. We do, we do go through infertility and we do pay for alternative fertility treatments yes. like yes. in vitro fertilization mm-hmm. and um, intrauterine insemination Michelle, and all those. Michelle Obama talked about that. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do. We 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 pay for those things, and I think that um, I, I see more so now. A lot more people are accepting of it, and I think it it has a lot. I think also it has to do from a cultural moment as well. You know, back in November, you know, Michelle Obama came out and said she had I, you know, she had IVF to have her babies, and you have a lot of other celebrities that a lot of women look up to. Say, you know, I've gone through this, I've gone through that. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that it may not be accessible to them until they actually really do their research and actually see, you know, maybe my insurance does cover fertility treatments or can pay for a portion of adoption or, you know, in certain communities from um, a pro-birth perspective, I would say that we are we aren't really taught about that process until we're in it. Mm -hmm. And we, (laughs) it's almost, it's almost, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about, you know, learning kind of knowing your body beforehand. You know, I think they try to mock and say that the black community or black woman in general, the reason why we are experiencing these crazy stats, you know, three and four more, Mm -hmm. three and four more times of losing a baby, three and four more times of actually dying due to pregnancy related or childbirth complications is because we are obese and Mm -hmm. we are poor. Mm -hmm. And that is not true. Mm -hmm. It's not true for any, anybody, anybody that I've talked to. um, I think, I don't know where their statistics are coming from, but no, most of us are college educated. Most of us have great jobs. Even if we aren't college educated, you know, we, we are, you know, definitely very much so middle-class. And I think that, we have to get to a place within really our community, with our faith, within our churches, that we don't push that message on everybody, that they have yeah. to have this ideal family set up, whether it's, you know, them, you know, getting married and having children or, you know, not adopting or adopting or going through IVF mm-hmm. or not going through IVF or having a surrogate or not that we are just happy that people are producing life in general. And I think that in, in the black community, especially in the church, you know, you know, single moms are looked down upon, especially when it comes to, you know, getting pregnant mm-hmm. and then not, not being able to, you know, the husband or the, yeah. the baby father is not in the picture <laughs> and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And I think that um, we have to get to a place where, you know, no matter how the baby comes, we should be happy, yes. you know, it does not matter. Yeah. It does not matter how you get become a mother. You still can become a mother. It does not matter. So. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. I, I really resonate mm-hmm. with that. Um, both the Kimberly and I are single. Um, I'm a single mom mm-hmm. and I, I think that I have seen and felt so deeply mm. the love appreciation and, we, you know, we have this real tension of brought up in the black family to like mm-hmm. mind your own business, mm-hmm. um, which the silver lining of that 
is that literally you don't care about the impact of someone's history that different, I mean, I'm just going to name it, that mm-hmm. most people in white culture would need to judge before they embraced you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I felt that deeply in people embracing my babies, embracing me, not asking questions, yeah. but being ready to listen. Um, and I, I feel that that next, you know, the flip side of that coin is that as we're learning to mind our business the right way, how should we be thinking through and really perceiving the conversation around supporting our sisters who experience the tragedies that that you've expressed and holding on to hope as single people? Um, and then for single women who haven't experienced pregnancy but long to, uh, what, what would the message be from not just your show, but your story and how might single sisters still here, First Lady, encouraging them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the best way to hold on to hope throughout this journey um, is really to go deeper in your faith mm-hmm. and go deeper. But what I mean is, you know, as the Bible says, fasting and praying until you get to to you get to a place where, you know, that that promise is on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what how your faith journey is or what, what your faith looks like right now, but there are so many great books that you that are out there that could help um, you hear God's voice mm-hmm. for yourself mm-hmm. and get to a place where you know when God is speaking into your life and speaking into your heart and you can continue to test your faith by fasting and praying and, and really seeking God for mm-hmm. whatever you're standing in need of, um, whether it's a child whether it's a job, <laughs> whether it's, um, you know, forgot to send you that man that you desire. Mm-hmm. I think that um, a great book to start out reading is Priscilla Schreier's um, Discerning the Voice of God. Mm-hmm. I always point my my listeners to that book, mainly because if you are unsure of where you are on your journey, if you are unsure of how God speaks to you, um, it's a great place to start to understand exactly um, the different ways that God speaks to you, whether it's through song, through scripture, a little bit of both through, you know, um, the birds chirping outside, you know, people, <laughs> God speaks to people so course, many yeah. different ways and in different ways in everybody's life. You know, some, some people get dreams, some people have a discerning spirit. You know, I think that book gives you a great idea, a good place to start to really um, strengthen your faith. So then you can go to that next level in your walk with Christ. Now, for my single ladies that are out there that are still in the wait, I always encourage women to um, just do you. Like, really, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm thinking like if I was single right now, I would be focused on me. I would focus on what what am I doing to help build God's kingdom? What am I doing to strengthen my heart to so that I can get stronger in my walk with Christ. Um, what am I doing to to better myself? Mm. You know, am I going out and working? And I think even in, in marriage, I'm I'm talking really to myself because even in marriage, mm. you you still you still want those moments where you are focusing on you. And, and as a mom, you want those times where you're centering things on you. You know, you give, you give, you give. 
am, you know, you give at work, you give at church, mm-hmm. you give to your listeners on this podcast. Sometimes you have to focus on you. And as a single mom, a single woman, um, that's your time to really focus on you and what you want and what you desire. And I would say, put yourself in a position where you um, are able to meet someone. I think that's the other part that we miss too sometimes is that we, um, we don't put ourselves out there in those positions. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know about, um, you know, the apps and all that kind of stuff. Cause I don't really get into it, but I'm just saying, sometimes we just got to put ourselves in those positions yep. where we know that there are Christian men that are out there. We know that, um, um, we got to step out a little bit more out of our comfort zone to get to that place. But I would say focus on you, focus on your faith, focus on what you're doing for the body of Christ, focus on your gifts, focus on your talents and focus on really what your true purpose is outside of marriage. Mm -hmm. So that when you get married, you can focus on what your purpose is together as a kingdom couple. Come on, kingdom couple. Come on. That is very (laughs) practical advice. Um, And yeah, and we are prisoners of hope. You know, um, we are we are prisoners of hope, as the scripture said. And so, you know what? What I want to do, I feel led to to pray briefly. I want to pray for um, the Hannahs and the Sarahs. You know, those who have yes. been waiting for a long time. You know, for the Lord yes. to 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 open their womb. You know, um, and to grant them the, these children, mm-hmm. Lord, and and for for all the singles, everybody, and also you. Um, 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 Erica, you really blessed us, um, here. And so I'm going to, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, you'll have an opportunity to, you know, tell our listeners how they can, um, you know, follow your work, be subscribed to your podcast. Um, but yeah, let me pray, uh, just, just briefly, just for, for our sisters at the table. Um, Father God, I just thank you for your loving kindness and your grace. And I thank you, Father, first of all, for Erica, Lord. I thank you for her life, Lord. I thank you for the purpose and the plan that you've had in her life, oh Lord. Thank you, Lord, that that um that you, oh God, are getting the glory out of her suffering, out of the trials, oh Lord, out of the losses of her precious children, oh God, um, Brandon and Brielle, who are in your bosom right now, who are with you right now, Lord. Um, I just thank you, oh Lord, for the gift that she has, oh God, in Maxwell and in her husband, Lord. We thank you uh, for for granting her the desires of her heart, Lord. And um, and I thank you for the ways that you're using her uh, to, to stand in the gap for other women, uh, for the Hannahs and the Sarahs, oh Lord, who are who are waiting um, and who are hoping, who are wondering if this is going to happen um, for them, oh Lord. Uh, I thank you for the ways that you're using her to minister to them, Lord. And and I just pray, oh God, that you, oh Lord, will remember them, that you will remember every single one of them, every tear that they've cried, Lord God. You know exactly what is behind them, Lord, and you bottle every single one of those tears, Lord God. And I pray that you would give them beauty for ashes, oh Lord. Lord God, I pray, oh Lord God, that they, oh Lord, would experience joy, that you, oh Lord, would put laughter in their soul, Lord Jesus, and that they, Father God, would by your grace, oh Lord God, that they, oh God, would also be able to experience, oh Lord God, um, the birth of their own child, oh Lord God, and that they would dedicate that child back to you, oh Lord, knowing that the child is a gift from you, oh Lord. Um, and I just pray, Father, that you would comfort them uh, in this moment, Who those who might be even crying in this moment 
moment, oh God, that you will be near to them, that you will wrap them in your arms uh, and that the Holy Spirit will really comfort them and meet them at their point of need, oh God. And and I just pray, oh God, that you would just continue to bless Erica's podcast and all of the, the ministry that she has, Lord, the church um, that, that she, she leads, oh Lord, as the first lady, oh Lord, I just pray uh, that you, oh Lord God, would grant her the desires of her heart, Lord God, and bless her and her husband, oh Lord, as they are discerning uh, the, the surrogacy and adoption um, options, Lord. And I just pray, oh God, that you would bring that to pass, oh Lord God, and that you, oh Lord God, will make them like those who dream dreams, as you said in um, Psalm 126, Lord. I pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So, Sister uh, McAfee, go ahead, girl. This is your time to uh, First Lady McAfee yes. to um Give us the to, uh, I'm pulling out the First Lady. So, um, <laughs> yes, <girl. laughs> so this is your opportunity, though, girl. Talk to our sisters. Tell them how they can follow you. Subscribe to Sisters in Laws. Just tell them what you're up to. Um, and yeah, and join in in your work. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you can follow me on social at Erica M. McAfee. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Right. And then the Sisters in Law podcast is everywhere. It's everywhere you can find podcasts, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. You can find us there. Um, just search Sisters in Law. So just search miscarriage or infertility. We should pop up there. You should see. You should find us there. And then you can follow our podcast on Facebook um, as well as Instagram at Sisters in Law. Okay. Um, I'm up there and I, I post up there about our episodes and just things that are going on in the um, infertility community, the women's health communities, especially around infant mortality and maternal mortality. I post a lot of different articles about that. And then um, I also have a brunch coming up in April, April 13th, 2019 in Washington, D.C. Um, I have some dynamic speakers. I don't know if you all know Arian Long Mm. of Family Box. She's my keynote speaker. Then I have a host of other organizations. We're going to do kind of a live podcast there at that brunch um and for more information about that that's at sisters and lost brunch Dot com. That it. You know, we love a good brunch now. So, yeah. <laughs> but Erica, we just want to, of course, thank you for taking a seat You're at the welcome. table with us. Thank you so much, sis. Seriously, we appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Thank you all so much for having me. And I just love being thank at the table. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank We're honored you. to have you. And um, of course, we want to thank our listeners, our sisters, for sitting at the table with us this week. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts uh, about um, infant loss and infertility with Erica McAfee using the hashtag Truce Table. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truce Table or email us your thoughts at asktrucetable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truce Table ha- um, has a Patreon account now, so you can send us your love offerings to uh, www.patreon.com backslash truce table or you can bless us at our paypal which is www.paypal.me backslash truce table truce table is made possible in part by potistery studios visit potistery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment our producer for the show is joshua heath our executive producer is Bo york and we have been your hosts akemini michelle and christina we'll see you soon on the next truce table bye y'all